Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. It is Saturday. It is the 6th. Go Brewers, go Packers, go all that stuff. Dave Spano, good morning. And Derek Felsky is here. So is Mark Oswald. Good morning. And yeah, there's, you know, people can feel good about what's happening or you cannot feel good. Depends on where you're getting your information. You, you know, you look at what's happening politically and uh, it's ugly. And then we talk about things that make us feel good, like sports related things. But th- there's certainly that feeling that's going through the market right now because we look at all of the economic news and it is really, really good. I mean, it's solid. Derek and Mark, you would think that the world was coming to end if you weren't just looking at economic news. Well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the bad news always leads, but you you think about the economy here in the state of Wisconsin and what's going on right now with, with baseball and extra games and people coming in and hotels and bars and restaurants and then, you know, up in Green Bay as well. There's a lot of things that are going on in the economy. The consumer is confident right now. The consumer is spending. And that's really good for the stock markets. And that's because the economy is doing well, and we saw a really good GDP print uh, recently as well. Yeah, we saw a 4.2% print. Um, The Atlanta Fed is looking for 3.5% in Q3. The stock market, the S&P 500, had its best quarter, uh, which ended last week since 2013. But we started this week off on a a different note. We made new record highs in the Dow. We did not do the same in the S&P or the NASDAQ. So some technicians see that as a, a divergence, which to them means that the market's strength is not as broad-based as it was, say, you know, six to nine months ago. The other thing we saw this week, Mark, was a, a very, very strong jobs report. That was a really important number on Friday because we saw two things happening. 168,000 jobs were anticipated. 134,000 jobs came in, so a little below expectation, but that unemployment rate dropped to 3.7%. 49-year low on unemployment, that's a meaningful thing for the economy. Well, it's the lowest rate of unemployment since the first man walked on the moon. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And also the Miracle Mets, if you recall, that was... 1969. Yep, there there they were. I was there for that. You were? I was. So, you know, but was big news, and we had a couple of days that there was a bunch of red ink all over the place, and that was because of what's happening with interest rates, we're seeing the 30-year and the 10-year get to highs that we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, and I think we've done a nice job in managing our portfolios through the, through this rate environment. We've talked a lot about taking a look at the interest rate risk in your portfolio, uh, protecting yourself against higher rates, because we're now finally starting to see the late cycle upsurge in rates that you typically see because the economy continues to be strong. Well, you look at the the wage number again. We, we looked at employment, and that wage growth is important. So 2.8% on an annualized basis, getting up around 3% wage growth, that's important because obviously people with more money in their pockets spend more money. So consumer confidence is there. If you see consumer spending pick up as well, then what does that mean for the Fed ultimately? We're probably going to see another rate hike in December based on the economic data. In fact, Chairman Powell, I find to be incredibly transparent, 
talked about how strong the U.S. economy was. And it's certainly strong, not just relative to our own history, but also relative to the rest of the world. I mean, we were talking about a global synchronized recovery last year, and now we're starting to see patches of weakness overseas. So the U.S. stock market, uh, U.S. investors continue to be rewarded, while those who are investing overseas are suffering a little bit. And the Fed is really important to the conversation because what they can do, obviously directing interest rates, but you know, one of their jobs is to maintain order in the economy if it overheats or if it does not, they have tools that they can use. They do. They have any number of tools. They have the Fed funds rate, they have reserve requirements and the like. And, and that's obviously something we've thought about. You know, there's this old cliche, don't fight the Fed. And basically, if you just operated with that credo alone, you would have been invested in stocks in 2009. And right now, with now having had eight rate increases over the last couple of years, you certainly are going to start to look at your portfolio with a very skeptical eye, particularly if valuations are out of hand in individual stocks that you own. Put it in perspective, though, Derek, when you look at where we're at right now from a Fed fund standpoint at 2.25%, that is still not restrictive. We're still talking about an accommodative Fed, and that is a good thing for investors. Yeah, we're going to take a break. Uh, Mark, hang on. We're going to need to have you explain accommodative, uh, so that's still to come. Derek Felsky is here, so is Mark Oswald and Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management, still to come on the show. Hey, what is a sidecar savings account? How does that work with your 401k? We've also got to follow up a little bit later on last week's segment on freezing your credit. We had a huge reaction to that, and we're going to help you a little bit more on exactly how to freeze your credit because you can now do that free of charge. We're going to bring somebody in from our planning department. AnnexWealth.com is the website. When you go there, you're going to see Know the Difference. Big green button says Get Started. You do that, give us a little bit of information, and you're on your way. We'll give you that free portfolio analysis. Again, that is AnnexWealth.com. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, uh, Saturday the 6th. Thanks for riding along. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald is here. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, and Dave Spano. Mark, can you uh, just give me a real quick 30 seconds on what is accommodative? Well, when you're talking about accommodative, you're looking at the Fed. So the Fed can either be loosening or tightening the money supply, and that's what the Fed does by raising and lowering interest rates. So if the market's going very well, it might tighten the interest rates. If the markets in the economy are not going so well, it could loosen. And that's what we mean by accommodative, a looser monetary policy. That's right, Mark. Basically, the Fed is debating really what federal funds rate is required given the current rate of inflation. Right now, they're basically in line, which is not a restrictive stance. In the past, Fed funds rate has been 2% above the rate of inflation. So that's a 4.25 number. So we're a long way from that number, which typically leads to a recession. That's obviously one thing we want to avoid as stock investors. The other thing I think people need to understand is that the stock market is a discounting mechanism. It is up on strong economic growth, strong corporate profits, but it will anticipate a slowdown when and should it occur. And that's something we obviously pay a lot of attention to on the investment committee at Annex. And the economy is booming right now. You know, it's tough to find workers. You know, you look around and utilization is up and there's a lot of really good news. Earnings are great and we don't want to be Pollyannish, right? And everything is, is great, but there is some things to look at. And one of the things people are thinking about is, are we getting near a major market top? And one of the things that we look for when we talk about this in our investment policy committee. It is. I mean, for, so for example, you know, we, we watch the yield curve, the shape of the yield curve. And one thing that's kind of interesting this week is as a 10-year yield got to its highest level since 2011 at 3.22%, up 16 basis points.
points on the week, which is that's a significant move. Uh, The yield curve actually steepened, which is a good sign. The other thing that was a good sign, too, was a lot of that weakness on Thursday. It was very obvious that the financials were actually weathering it quite well. It's one of the reasons why we own financials tactically at Annex, because we believe that as interest rates rise and net interest margins improve, bank profitability will start to grow faster than the S&P as a whole. Well, let's talk a little bit about the week that's coming up next. We've got earnings season is starting again. We had great earnings in the second quarter. What do you expect to see for the third quarter as the S&P 500 or any particular sectors of the S&P 500? Well, the current estimates are for about 19% earnings growth in Q3, following two 25% up quarters. Our expectation is those estimates are probably too low. The effect of, of tax reform on corporate profitability, strength in the U.S. economy and the like. So we're looking for another 20% quarter in terms of S&P earnings. The one difference between this quarter and the prior two, though, is there are some companies issuing downward guidance, home builders as one example. I mean, just noticed yesterday, Dave, that the home builder index is down 13 days in a row. That's never happened before. And home builders are leading indicators. So this is something we've got to watch. Are earnings expectations for 2019 too high? Right now, we don't think they are, but there is a possibility that if tariffs perk up or we get some uncertainty on, on business confidence and the like, that some estimates might start to come down, and that would cause us to be more defensive. And that naturally leads us to this conversation that's been happening, which is peak earnings and explain to everybody what that means. Peak earnings is the absolute high of earnings. So our investment team did some work going back to past market cycles and what we found is subsequent to an absolute peak in earnings, while earnings continue to go up, the growth rate starts to slow. So basically the second derivative turns negative, but the year-over-year change remains positive and stocks tend to respond pretty well for quite some time. So is it a peak in absolute dollars or is is it a peak in the growth rate? It's a peak in the growth rate. So that's really interesting because companies are still making more money in that case, which would continue to support the stock price continuing to go higher, even though the growth rate comes down. Well, and that goes back to what I said earlier about stock markets being discounting mechanisms, because the stock market will look for a slowdown in earnings. The question is how much of a slowdown. And that's where we we, you know, we earn our money as fundamental analysts of corporate fundamentals. Dirk Falski, our chief investment officer at Annex Wealth. We're going to take a break. Going to be back. It's 1021 at WTMJ. Let's talk real quick about locations for Annex Wealth Management. We're growing. Annex Wealth Management, our original headquarters, of course, in Elm Grove. We're also in Mequon, right off of 43. Easy to find there. Lake Country, there for you in Delafield. Also in Appleton on College Avenue. Fister is downtown. That is our newest location. It is lovely. And if you work downtown, we're making it very easy for you to uh, meet with the Annex staff. And since we're on a 50,000-watt radio station, I will tell you, if you can hear us, we can deal with you via something called Annex Everywhere. We'll just use some technology, and we'll meet virtually. It's very easy. So all of those locations, including Annex Everywhere, start at AnnexWealth.com. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. He's back. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Services, Annex Wealth Management. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for having me. We talk a lot about 401ks with you. That's that's your thing. Uh, we also talk about financial stress because that's part of financial wellness, and that's what we do here at Annex Wealth Management as well. For sure. And the two are very much linked together. Boy, they are. There's an emergency savings crisis in this country. There's a lot of people that when they get hit with something, the transmission goes, you need new tires. I mean, you name it. When there's a need for cash, you don't want to be running the payday loan store. 
And people just don't have regular savings for that. And we're going to talk about this thing called Sidecar. Yeah, it's interesting. You sent me this article, the Sidecar plan that could soon be attached to your 401k. Naturally, I saw Sidecar and I was thinking cocktails. That's a shot in a beer, right? <laughs> well, you know what? That's how I look at it. But there is actually a cocktail named oh, the Sidecar. Is. It's got, yeah, it's a sweet drink, you know. But um, That's a future segment. <laughs> that is. We, okay. should, we need more time for that. Right. So the Sidecar attachment to a 401k, how does it work? So what they're talking about doing is giving people the ability to save a small amount amount of money non-qualified, so meaning it's not a tax-advantaged account. The reason they're talking about this in conjunction with retirement plans is retirement plans are already set up. It's a natural complement sure. to that industry. People are already taking paycheck withdrawals for the to facilitate a 401k. So a lot of the mechanisms would be similar to a 401k. So it's just a, like a tiny bucket that you fill up, and if you yep. need it, you take it. Right. Yeah, and you don't get a tax break on it or anything like that, but it's there to help you put some money aside to help save for an emergency. And part of it is they're looking at the amount of loans that people take from 401ks or like you said going to payday loans trying to keep that from happening if you have a small emergency you need a washer or a dryer or something like that we don't want you rating your 401k for that everybody talks about the emergency fund. This is to build the emergency fund. That's right. Prudential Financial found that 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in a savings account. You know, so it could be something with the car, could be an appliance, you know, things that you need to run your life on. You can't just not drive your car to work if it's not working. You got to fix that. What they're looking at is how can we figure out a way to give people a little stash over here that'll help them with those emergencies. The figure I read was that there's like 12 million payday loans. The fees on those things, nine. Oh billion dollars. Yeah. Um, I do some financial literacy education outside of work. And that is the one thing I tell the kids because it's to high school kids. And I just say, whatever you do, stay away from the payday loans. The interest, it's like one of those things, it's Hotel California. Once you get into one of those things, right. it's really hard to get out and it is expensive. Not having the money to pay these emergency needs, there's your financial stress. Right. And that's why this all ties into financial wellness. When we talk to people in the retirement plan industry, so often the conversation was, you need to save more. And people would say, I can't afford to. The natural reaction of people in our industry would be, well, you can't afford not to. And you go back and forth. No one was really getting into the why can't you afford to. And it's because of stuff like this. So if we can help people with some of the basic, be prepared for a financial emergency, get your budget and your debt in order, then it all becomes easier to see and people can plan and start making those other decisions about saving for retirement, saving for a house, whatever it might be. So if you were to guess if this thing is going to become bigger, this sidecar, this this um, the savings into a small account that people can tap. Do you think it's going to be something that the big providers are going to go with? I hope so. I mean, the thing is, first, the people in Congress need to figure this out. So I, when I was reading the article that you sent, they were saying, well, there are these legislative hurdles and all this stuff. It's like, well, you're the congressman. Why don't you just change the law and make this doable? It's not all that complicated. Just make this easier. And I do think so. That, to your question about will the providers do it? I think so because, like I said, the mechanism's already there. You know, the, pro the systems and all that stuff are in place. And there are lots of different ways you could do this. It's just going to be a matter of will employers embrace it? If they do, I think that'll make a huge difference. Because if employers make it easy, and they're even talking about giving employers a little bit of an incentive for pitching in a little bit. So, hey, we'll throw 100, 200 bucks in there if you guys do this much. All those things would be really spectacular, I think, if we could make this work. And we work with companies on financial wellness. Is this something we would suggest? At a minimum, it's something that they should be talking about. And we look at the statistics of employees and their expectations of employers helping them. There is a thirst for this out there. Americans in general, they know they don't quite have it right when it comes to finances, 
they want to get it right. So much of what we talk about isn't, here's what you're doing wrong and all this stuff. People already have a pretty good sense of that. They know they shouldn't be spending what they're spending. (laughs) They know they should be saving a little bit more. So that is not a conversation we have to have. The conversation we need to do is encourage people, let them know it's not a hopeless situation, and then provide them with some tools. Hey, here's how you can go about getting started. It would seem it'd be like the wisdom of an HSA. You know you're going to spend that with an emergency fund. You know you're going to spend it. It's going to happen. I'm a huge advocate of HSAs. I think on so many levels, the triple tax benefit, just the savings for something that you know you are going to need to spend. Like you said, healthcare, it's not like there's going to be a point in your life when you don't need healthcare anymore. If anything, it just, you need more of it the older you get. So all of these things, it all ties back to financial wellness, whether you're talking about saving for an emergency, saving for your healthcare expenses, saving for retirement. These are all things people have emergencies, people need healthcare and people want to retire. So how can we make those all work together? You're director of retirement plans here at Annex Wealth Management. Um, how's that work with companies? I'm primarily responsible for working with the employers themselves, trying to set up the plans, which investments are you going to make available to your employees, try to mitigate a lot of those fiduciary concerns that people who offer 401ks have. And then the rest of our team then says, okay, now we've got that up and running. How can we help your employees take advantage of that? Obviously, saving in the 401k is uh, the primary role of the 401k plan, but it is not the only thing. So that's where we talk to people and say, what are your expenses? What is your budget? look like? How much is appropriate for the 401k? When I first started in this business, I was told when people ask you how much to save in the 401k plan, always tell them more. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily bad advice, but it is not always the best advice. Sometimes you should be socking a little bit more away in that HSA, or sometimes you should first build up your emergency fund. That's the kind of stuff that we want to help people with, because in the long run, it'll end up helping the retirement plan. Did you help set up the 401k here at Annex? I did. As it's fantastic. Well, I'm glad I you like it. I just want to say my compliments Yeah, well, we try to practice what we preach here. All right, and uh, Tom can do that for you as well, 262-786-6363. You can find him at AnnexWealth.com. Thanks for having me on. Never get less than your money's worth. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Last week on the show, we talked about the why and the how of freezing your credit with credit reporting agencies. And the big three are Equifax, TransUnion, and Experience. It was a very popular segment. We covered a lot of whys, and we talked about the how. Got a lot of feedback from listeners that want more detail on the how. So he's back. Eric Strom, financial planning specialist, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. The ability to freeze your credit used to cost you money. Law's been passed. It's free now. That's right. So in the state of Wisconsin, you used to have to pay $10 to freeze your credit per bureau. And remember, there are three of them. And then you'd have to pay another $10 every time you wanted to lift that freeze. However, it is now free to do so. Lots of listener feedback. Details on the how. How do you go about freezing your credit with each of these agencies? Yes, again, and the one sentence reminder of why freezing your credit is the way that you stop identity thieves from opening up new credit in your name. That's what we're doing this for. Because those agencies are credit reporting agencies. Is that what they are? Exactly. Right. So if if I'm going to open up a credit card at ABC Store, ABC Store will get a hold of one of these and check my credit. That's absolutely right. Right. So if somebody's stolen my identity, they're going to call TransUnion or Equifax or somebody, act as me. We want that blocked. Exactly. That is why we are blocking it. How do you set up a credit freeze? Uh, You do need to do the process again with all three of the credit bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. You could visit their official website or call them, uh, but there's a little trick that can help you get right to the source. Okay, listen up carefully on this one, folks. What I would do is pull 
pull up Google. I would type in FTC for Federal Trade Commission credit freeze frequently asked questions. So just type in FTC credit freeze. Look for that credit freeze frequently asked questions that was created by the Federal Trade Commission. And when you click that link from the Federal Trade Commission website, it will take you directly to the page for setting up a security freeze. And let me tell you why it's important to do that. The three credit bureaus, they're not thrilled about the idea of people freezing their credit. So they make it a little tricky to do so. So go right to that link um, and that will be helpful. The, the first one, like Equifax, I actually had to create an account and they'll kind of go through a couple of questions, you know, your past addresses or did you have a loan with so-and-so? You gotta get those right otherwise. And what happened with me is, I think mine was none of the above, they blocked me. So I had to get on the phone with them. Yes, yep, and, and that does happen at times. So the easiest way to set it up is online. Um, you can also do it over the phone and in some cases, like as Danny described, you may sometimes have to call with additional questions. Um, if I can give you one tip, folks, when you do this or you start to create the account, if you don't have one at Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian, and you might not, write down your information, write down whatever email you address you use, write down whatever password you create, because at some point you'll want to unfreeze your credit, but we'll get to that. Yeah, in some cases, they'll provide you a PIN. So whatever you use to set up the account, whether that's uh, email address and password or PIN, you want to write down that information and keep it someplace very, very safe that you will not lose that information. Because once you've set up your account and your security freeze with these credit agencies, then you will need to lift it regularly throughout your life. And so you don't want to lose that information. Now, you said that you freeze and unfreeze often, even when you had to pay. What would make you unfreeze your credit? Applying for a new credit card or really any loan. Um, applying for new auto insurance, new homeowner's insurance, applying for new cell phone. Sometimes even getting a new job requires to run your credit. So in many, many cases, whenever someone new needs to look at your credit, you need to lift the appropriate security freeze so that someone can have access to your credit, which is normally on the lockdown. How do you know which of the agencies you need to unfreeze? Let me give you an example. So earlier this year, my wife and I wanted to open up a new hotel credit card. So prior to applying for the credit card, did a quick Google search in the state of Wisconsin, found out that this particular credit card checks your Experian agency, a report. So I unfroze my wife's and myself's Experian report. Then I applied for the credit card. When I had originally set up lifting the security freeze, I opted to leave my credit open for 10 days. So they ask you for a date, when do you want to lift the freeze? And then when do you want the freeze to be automatically reinstated? And so during that 10 days, my Experian report was vulnerable, but that was when I applied for the credit card, was accepted, and then at the end of that 10, 10 days, automatically back to the frozen status. Now, if this sounds familiar, yeah, we covered this last week. We talked about the whys. We talked a little bit about the hows. This is the how to freeze or unfreeze your credit. That's what this is. Really quick summary. I recommend go to Google, type in Federal Trade Commission credit freeze, and then look for that frequently asked questions. It should be the first or second link that shows up. Federal Trade Commission credit freeze. This is a pretty big commitment to decide to start freezing your credit because there's many, many cases where you're going to need to lift your credit freeze and then have it reinstated. And maybe at first, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but I believe it's worth it for this ironclad security. Uh, there's no better way to prevent identity theft than this method. Eric Strom is our financial planning specialist, and uh, normally his beat is annuities, but this time because he really likes to freeze and unfreeze his credit. He's the expert on that. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much, Danny. 1041 at WTMJ.
Yeah, we always say know the difference, and it's team, it's tech, it's trust. We talk to guys like Eric, who's in our financial planning team, uh, and they're just, they're the geeks, and I just love the guys. I mean, they figure things out. So when you come in for the free portfolio analysis, a lot of that back end has been done by our very, very smart people on that team. And you could start that by going to AnnexWealth.com, and you will see the button that says Get Started. It is just that easy. Again, AnnexWealth.com. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk Annex Wealth Management. Ask Annex. We'd love to hear from you. You can go to AnnexWealth.com. There is an Ask Annex button there. We've got a question from Kenneth. Are there any investments, mutual funds, etc., that will guarantee no loss on a market downturn in exchange for reduction in the gain during a market upturn? Joining us, Dave Spano, Ron Johnson is here, and so is Mandy Nowashinsky, all CFP. So hit it, guys. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of experience in the room, and we love these mailbag questions, so keep them coming. We'll, we do a section every week on it. We like it. And uh, Ron Johnson, uh, one part of our financial planning department, you got this question this week. It is an interesting question, Ron, because everybody would want an opportunity to participate on the upside without any downside. But there's cost to that, and there's things that people should know before even considering an investment like that, correct? Yeah. On the face of it, when you say it like that, Dave, it, it sounds pretty intriguing. But the things to consider is, first of all, you know what we're talking about here is usually annuity companies are the ones that make that claim. And what you have to consider, first of all, is what is the participation rate on the upside? And that's something that's going to be very deep in the land language of the contract. And what does that mean, participation? It really means that, say, the, the S&P, for instance, is up 10% in the given year. How much is the contract going to give you, Dave, if you owned it? Is it 5%, 4% of that? So if it, the market's up 10 and I get 5%, I would get a 50% part participation rate. And if I get 7% on a 10% up, I would get 70%. So that's the insurance amount that we're talking about. That's right. In exchange for that, you're not going to participate in the loss. But the other thing you need to consider, and this isn't talked about often either, is the cost of associated with that annuity, right? right? They can be very expensive. And we know that there's a lot of people out there that hate annuities. And one of the things that we have to look at is what are the costs? What are the surrender charges? What if you need the money? What if something happens, there's a health care issue and you need the money? What does it cost you to get your own money back? That's one of the things that you have to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And you're talking about surrender charges there, right? S surrender charges. And what about internal charges? With these equity index annuities, do they have internal charges that you can see? Yep, they do. Of course they do. You know, they're going to have insurance rates, right? There could be rider fees involved. And really, to think of it this way, annuity complexes are incredibly complex, and not all annuities are created equal. So you made a good point. Do we hate annuities? No. But not every annuity is created equal, and you just need to buyer beware. You there, need to no do your question. research. You know, there's a lot of people out there who sell annuities, and that's the only arrow in their quiver, and they want it to make it work for every circumstance. And we want our listeners to understand there is a cost to that. Make sure you understand the cost. Contract. We did get a second question as well, Danny. This one comes from Jane. Should I be doing Roth conversions now that I am retired? Mandy, welcome back. Thank you. So that is a great question, and that's one that we kind of get a lot when we're going through our financial plans as generally speaking, yes, you have some lower tax years, but you always have to look at a couple things when you're doing Roth conversions. The first being, how are you going to pay the tax? If you're doing a Roth conversion, you're taking money from an IRA that is deferred, from an income tax standpoint and paying the tax now. 
how are you going to pay that tax? Do you have cash in hand? Do you have a, a joint taxable account or a trust account that you can draw assets from? And then let me jump in, Mandy, because a lot of people say I'm going to take that money out and also take the taxes out. That kind of blows up the whole idea, doesn't it? It does. So when we look, you generally have a finite amount of room to do Roth conversions in the tax bracket. Let's say it's 30000 Well, let's say you want to pay the tax from the IRA in that conversion. You're only putting, let's say, twenty grand then into the Roth account. You know, you're not really maximizing it. And you're really kind of limiting the benefit from the conversion. And so if people want to do the conversion, and there is opportunities for people to do that, if you want to do the conversions, one of the things that you want to look at is, can you pay the income tax when you convert? When you take the money out of the taxable IRA, you have to pay the taxes on it. You then convert it to the Roth, which now becomes tax-free forever. That sounds intriguing, but you're suggesting that the money should come from somewhere other than the distribution from the IRA. Exactly, whether that's from your bank account or a different taxable investment account. And you also need to be cautious of, do you need that money anytime soon? There's various rules, and when you can take money out of Roth IRAs, um, you just got to be cautious of that. Well, let's, let's cover those quickly if we can. Sure. So there's two five-year Roth IRA rules. The first being you have to have a Roth IRA open for five years before you can take earnings out tax-free. And that starts from the first day you open a Roth IRA. You could have 10 Roth IRAs. That five-year period started when the first one opened. The second rule is on Roth conversions. You have a separate five-year clock for Roth conversions that you do. This five-year clock applies to those under 59 and a half. It's kind of a way to stop people from taking money out of retirement accounts before they should have, kind of by skirting around it by doing Roth conversions. Thank you, Ron Johnson. Thank you, Mandy Nowashinsky. And thank you, Dave Spano. That is Ask Annex. You can see that at AnnexWealth.com. Right on the top, it'll say Ask Annex. We love to hear from you. We answer as many of these uh, as possible, either on the radio show here on WTMJ, or actually we'll get right back to you via email. So again, that's AnnexWealth.com. Look for Ask Annex. Know the difference. It's AnnexWealth.com. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Joining me is Jill Martin. She is the estate planning attorney here at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Danny. Beneficiaries, completely necessary, very important, important to review. And you've got key things to keep an eye on because I think you've seen these all. I have. Yeah. And it's something that's come up quite a bit in the conversations in the last couple of weeks with some of our clients. So that's why it's important to talk about. So basically a beneficiary is, is who something passes to. Am I correct with that? That's correct. So generally what's going to happen is, is these are contracts. So depending on the type of account, whether it's an IRA or a life insurance, the beneficiary designations are part of that contract for that account, and it will pass automatically to that person when you pass away. And that's something that most of us, when we get a brand new 401k at a new employer or an IRA, you have to fill that out. You've got to assign a beneficiary. Absolutely. Are there times that people don't assign a beneficiary? Can you get away with that anymore? Well, you can get away with it, but you have to be very careful about what are the defaults under that particular account agreement. So what does your 401k say are the default people who would receive if you don't name anyone specifically? And they may not be the people you want to get that money. We'll get to that. What is your number one? The number one thing is that beneficiary designations will override or trump whatever you put in your will or your trust. And what I mean by that is, is if your will or trust says, I leave everything to my four children, but your IRA beneficiary designation says, I leave everything to the Greater Milwaukee Foundation, the Greater Milwaukee Foundation's getting that IRA. Got it. And that can't be fought. That is hard and fast. Correct. Yeah, it, it, it's a little tricky, and some people don't understand that. They think that their last will and testament will dictate everything that 
happens to and who what our heirs get, but those beneficiary designations override that. Have you seen that happen? Absolutely. Many times? Frequently enough, enough that you need to be aware of it because it could also be something where you name, you have four children, but somehow you only manage to get three of them on that beneficiary designation. So guess what? Only those three are going to split that IRA or that life insurance and the fourth one gets left out. Kids, if you've ever wondered who's the favorite, it would be these. Yeah. Okay, you, you want to avoid that. Okay. Yeah. Second one. Second one is you need to review these beneficiary designations regularly. Think about the situation where divorce happens, right? I've heard horror stories and seen it happen where, guess what? Somebody never went back and updated the beneficiary designation on their retirement plan or a large life insurance policy, and the ex-spouse is the one who suddenly has a windfall. It could be 5, 10, 20 years after that divorce happened, but if you never go back and update that beneficiary designation, it's part of the contract, so it governs. You've seen it happen. Yes. Holy cow. Okay. What about a name change? Somebody got married and their their name changes? You can go ahead and update after that happens, but it's not critical because what happens is is you've got that marriage certificate that's going to be a proof of identity. So if all of a sudden your daughter got married and her legal name changes, if her maiden name is still listed on your beneficiary designation, all she has to do is use that that marriage certificate to prove who she is. In addition to reviewing things regularly, potentially because of divorce, you also have to think about if you had someone that was named as a beneficiary that passed away. Mm. That's important to kind of look at what happens to their share now that they've passed away. It doesn't necessarily automatically pass to their children. It generally won't pass to their spouse, but it may get reallocated among the remaining beneficiaries. And you need to look at that to decide Is the default that's going to happen there what you want to have happen, or do we need to update the beneficiary? Now, this is a beneficiary. Is this different than what I see as TOD, transfer on death? That's different? It's not different. So what it is is depending on the type of account that we're talking about, IRAs, life insurance, they have beneficiaries that you put on an account. Bank accounts, real estate, you can put a transfer on death or a payable on death designation on an account. It functions the same way. It just depends on... If you're working with a financial institution or a real estate or a contract type situation. Jill Martin is a state planning attorney here at Annex Wealth Management. She sees this all the time. So we're talking about beneficiaries and the importance of making sure that it's right, uh, reviewing it, and on to our next thing, which is? To make sure you have contingent beneficiaries named on your policies. And what that means is is you're going to name a primary person. So maybe that primary beneficiary is your spouse. And that's great. That's what you want to make sure that you name someone who's going to get that property upon your death. But we also want to make sure that we're contingency planning. So guess what? If something happens where both you and your spouse pass away unexpectedly together or in a short period of time, you want to make sure that you have named beneficiaries in the event that both of you are already gone. When something goes awry, who has to go in and fix it? You're you're an estate planning attorney. Are these things that, that you guys tackle? It's hard to fix it. You know, what it is is because it's a contract, you legally signed off on this when you created the account. And so... Absent anything that's fundamentally flawed or something that happened like that, you can't really fix it. What you have to do is kind of triage it and just figure out what actually is going to happen now that we're with the facts that we have, because you generally can't go back and change something retroactively. Joe Martin, our estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management, part of the Deep Bench and the great team here. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome, Danny. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Scripps Media Incorporated.